Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Seven crows does a curse make for the brothers of a weak child, and who knows the world of animals and the quips of dialogue shared amongst the bluebirds. And golden tresses make a girl, and that girl a prince's Rapunzel. Listeners, I bring you Brothers Grimm tales of old. And mates, these stories are classics. You're in for a treat. Also, a big thank you to the lovelies who have emailed me recently let me know how they're enjoying the show. I always respond to every single one of you brilliant people. And if you want to reach out to me, email me at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. I read every single one and respond to every single one of you lovelies. Now mates, pour yourself an old grey, or a tea of your choice, and let's listen to some grim tales of old together. There once was a man and a woman, who had long in vain wished for a child. At length, the woman hoped that God was about to grant her desire. These people had a little window at the back of their house, from which a splendid garden could be seen. It was full of the most beautiful flowers and herbs. It was, however, surrounded by a high wall, and no one had dared to go into it because it belonged to a witch, who had great power and was dreaded by all the world. One day, the woman was standing by this window and looking down into the garden when she saw a bed which was planted with the most beautiful rampion, and it looked so fresh and green that she longed for it and had the greatest desire to eat some. This desire increased every day, and as she knew that she could not get any of it, she quite pined away and looked pale and miserable. Then her husband was alarmed and asked, What ails you, dear wife? Ah, she replied, If I can't get any of that rampion to eat which is in the garden behind our house, I shall die. The man who loved her thought, sooner than let your wife die, bring her some of the rampion yourself, let it cost you what it will. In the twilight of evening, he clambered over the wall into the garden of the witch, hastily clutched a handful of rampion, and took it to his wife. She at once made herself a salad of it, and ate it with much relish. She, however, liked it so much, so very, very much, that the next day she longed for it, three times as much as before. If he was to have any rest, her husband must once more descend into the garden. In the gloom of the evening, therefore, he let himself down again. But when he had clambered down the wall, he was terribly afraid, for he saw the witch standing before him. How dare you, she said with an angry look, descend into my garden and stealing rampion like a thief. You shall suffer for it. 
Uh, answered he. Let mercy take the place of justice. I had to do it out of necessity. My wife saw some of your rampion by the window and felt such a longing for it that she would have died had she not gotten some to eat. Then the witch let her anger be softened and said to him, If the case be as you say, I will allow you to take away with you as much rampion as you will. Only I make one condition, that you must give me the child, which your wife will bring into the world. It shall be well treated, and I will care for it like a mother. The man in his terror consented to everything, and when the woman at last had a little daughter, the witch appeared at once, gave the child the name of Rapunzel, and took it away with her. Rapunzel grew into the most beautiful child beneath the sun. The witch shut her into a tower, which lay in a forest, and had neither stairs nor door. But quite at the top was a little window. When the witch wanted to go in, she placed herself beneath this and cried, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down thy hair. Rapunzel had magnificent long hair, fine as spun gold. And when she heard the voice of the witch, she unfastened her braided tresses and wound them round one of the hooks of the window above. And then the hair fell twenty ells down, and the witch climbed up by it. After a year or two it came to pass that the king's son rode through the forest and went by the tower. Then he heard a song which was so charming that he stood still and listened. This was Rapunzel, who in her solitude passed her time in letting her sweet voice resound. The king's son wanted to climb up to her, and looked for the door of the tower, but none was to be found. He rode home, but the singing had so deeply touched his heart, that every day he went out into the forest and listened to it. Once, when he was thus standing behind the tree, he saw that a witch came there, and he heard how she cried, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down thy hair. Then Rapunzel let down the braids of her hair, and the witch climbed up to her. If that is the ladder by which one mounts, I will for once try my fortune, said he. The next day, when it began to grow dark, he went to the tower and cried, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down thy hair. Immediately the hair fell down, and the king's son climbed up. At first Rapunzel was terribly frightened when a man, such as her eyes had never yet beheld, came to her. But the king's son began to talk to her quite like a friend, and told her that his heart had been so stirred that it had let him have no rest. So he had been forced to see her. Then Rapunzel lost her fear and when she asked if she would take him for her husband, and she saw that he was young and handsome, she thought, He will love me more than old Dame Guffle does. And she said yes, and laid her hand in his. She said also, I will willingly go away with you, but I do not know how to get down. Bring with you a skein of silk every time that you come, and I will weave a ladder with it. When that is ready, I will descend, and you 
will take me on your horse. They agreed that until that time, he should come to her every evening, for the old woman came by day. The witch remarked nothing of this, until once Rapunzel said to her, Tell me, Dame Gothel, how it happens that you are so much heavier for me to draw up than the young king's son. He is with me in a moment. <sighs> you wicked child, cried the witch. What do I hear you say? I thought I had separated you from all the world, and yet you have deceived me. In her anger, she clutched Rapunzel's beautiful tresses, wrapped them twice around her left hand, seized a pair of scissors with the right hand snip snap. They were cut off, and the lovely braids lay on the ground. And she was so pitiless that she took poor Rapunzel into a desert where she had to live in great grief and misery. On the same day, however, that she cast out Rapunzel, the witch in the evening fastened the braids of hair, which she had cut off, to the hook of the window. And when the king's son came and cried, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down thy hair. She let the hair down. The king's son ascended. He did not find his dearest Rapunzel above, but the witch, who gazed at him with wicked and venomous looks. <laughs> she cried mockingly. You would fetch your dearest, but the beautiful bird sits no longer singing in the nest. The cat has got it, and will scratch out your eyes as well. Rapunzel is lost to you, and you'll never see her more. The king's son was beside himself with grief, and in his despair he leapt down from the tower. He escaped with his life, but the thorns into which he fell pierced his eyes. Then he wandered quite blind about the forest, ate nothing but roots and berries, and did nothing but lament and weep over the loss of his dearest wife. Thus he roamed about in misery for some years and at length came to the desert where Rapunzel lived in wretchedness. He heard a voice, and it seemed so familiar to him that he went toward it. When he approached, Rapunzel knew him, and fell on his neck and wept. Two of her tears wetted his eyes, and they grew clear again, and he could see with them as before. He led her to his kingdom, where he was joyfully received. And they lived for a long time, happy and contented. A long time ago, there lived a king who was famed for his wisdom through all the land. Nothing was hidden from him, and it seemed as if news of the most secret things was brought to him through the air. But he had a strange custom. Every day after dinner, when the table was cleared, and no one else was present, a trusty servant had to bring him one more dish. It was covered, and even the servant did not know what was in it. Neither did anyone know, for the king never took off the cover to eat it, until he was quite alone. This had gone on for a long time, when one day the servant, who took away the dish, was overcome with 
such curiosity that he could not help carrying the dish into his room. When he had carefully locked the door, he lifted up the cover and saw a white snake lying on the dish. But when he saw it, he could not deny himself the pleasure of tasting it. So he cut off a little bit and put it into his mouth. No sooner had it touched his tongue than he heard a strange whispering of little voices outside his window. He went and listened and then noticed that it was the sparrows who were chattering together and telling one another of all kinds of things which they had seen in the fields and woods. Eating the snake had given him power to understand the language of animals. Now, it so happened that on this very day the queen lost her most beautiful ring, and suspicion of having stolen it fell upon this trusty servant, who was allowed to go everywhere. The king ordered the man to be brought before him, and threatened with angry words that, unless he could, before the morrow, point out the thief, he himself should be looked upon as guilty and should be executed. In vain, he declared his innocence. He was dismissed with no better answer. In his trouble and fear, he went down into the court and took thought how to help himself out of this trouble. Now, some ducks were sitting together quietly by a brook and taking their rest. And whilst they were making their feathers smooth with their bills, they were having a confidential conversation. The servant stood by and listened. They were telling one another of all the places where they had been waddling about all the morning, and what good food they'd found. And one said in a pitiful tone, Something lies heavy on my stomach. As I was eating in haste, I swallowed a ring which lay under the queen's window. The servant at once seized her by the neck, carried her to the kitchen, and said to the cook, Here is a fine duck. Pray, kill her. Yes, said the cook, and weighed her in his hand. She has spared no trouble to fatten herself, and has been waiting long enough to be roasted. So he cut off her head, and as she was being dressed for the spit, the queen's ring was found inside her. The servant could now easily prove his innocence. The king, to make amends for the wrong, allowed him to ask a favor, and promised him the best place in the court. The servant refused everything, and asked only for a horse and some money for traveling. As he had a mind to see the world and go about a little, when his request was granted, he set out on his way. One day he came to a pond, where he saw three fishes caught in the reeds and gasping for water. Now, though it is said that fishes are dumb, he heard them lamenting that they must perish so miserably. As he had a kind heart, he got off his horse and put the three prisoners back into the water. They quivered with delight, put out their heads and cried to him, we will remember you and repay you for saving us. He rode on, and after a while it seemed to him that he heard a voice in the sand at his feet. He listened and heard an ant king complain. Why cannot folk with their clumsy beasts keep off our bodies? That stupid horse with his heavy hoofs 
has been tracking down my people without mercy. So he turned onto a side path, and the ant king cried out to him, We will remember you. One good turn deserves another. The path led him into a wood, and there he saw two old ravens standing by their nest and throwing out their young ones. Out with you, you idle, good-for-nothing creatures, cried they. We cannot find food for you any longer. You are big enough and can provide for yourselves. But the poor young ravens lay upon the ground, flapping their wings and crying. Oh, what helpless chicks we are. We must shift for ourselves, and yet we cannot fly. What can we do but lie here and starve? So the good young fellow alighted and killed his horse with his sword and gave it to them for food. Then they came, hopping up to it, satisfied their hunger and cried, We will remember you. One good turn deserves another. And now he had to use his own legs. And when he had walked a long way, he came to a large city. There was a great noise and crowd in the streets, and a man rode up on horseback crying aloud. The king's daughter wants a husband, but whoever sues for her hand must perform a hard task. If he does not succeed, he will forfeit his life. Many had already made the attempt, but in vain. Nevertheless, when the youth saw the king's daughter, he was so overcome by her great beauty that he forgot all danger, went before the king and declared himself a suitor. So he was led out to sea, and a gold ring was cast into it. Then the king ordered him to fetch this ring upon the bottom of the sea, and added, If you come up without it, you will be thrown in again and again, until you perish amid the waves. And all the people grieved for the handsome youth. Then they went away, leaving him alone by the sea. He stood on the shore and considered what he should do, when suddenly he saw three fishes come swimming toward him. They were the very fishes whose lives he had saved. The one in the middle held a mussel in its mouth, which it laid on the shore at the youth's feet. When he had taken it up and opened it, there lay the gold ring in the shell. Full of joy, he took it to the king and expected that he would grant him the promised reward. But when the proud princess perceived that he was not her equal in birth, she scorned him and required him first to perform another task. She went down into the garden and strewed with her own hands ten sacks full of millet seed on the grass. Then she said, Tomorrow morning before sunrise, these must be picked up and not a single grain be wanting. The youth sat down in the garden and considered how he might perform this task, but he could think of nothing. And there he sat sorrowfully awaiting the break of day when he should be led to death. But as soon as the first rays of the sun shone into the garden, he saw all the ten sacks standing side by side, quite full, and not a single grain was missing. The ant king had come in the night with thousands and thousands of ants, and the grateful creatures had, by great industry, picked up all the millet seeds and gathered them into the sacks. Presently, 
the king's daughter herself came down into the garden and was amazed to see that the young man had done the task she had given him. But she could not yet conquer her proud heart and said, Although he has performed both the tasks, he shall not be my husband until he has brought me an apple from the tree of life. The youth did not know where the tree of life stood, but he set out and would have gone on forever as long as his legs would carry him, though he had no hope in finding it. After he had wandered through three kingdoms, he came one evening to a wood and lay down under a tree to sleep. But he heard a rustling in the branches. A golden apple fell into his hand. At the same time, three ravens flew down to him, perched themselves upon his knee, and said, We are the three young ravens whom you saved from starving. When we had grown big and heard that you were seeking the golden apple, we flew over the sea to the end of the world, where the tree of life stands, and have brought you the apple. The youth, full of joy, set out homeward and took the golden apple to the king's beautiful daughter, who had now no more excuses left to make. They cut the apple of life in two and ate it together. And then her heart became full of love for him, and they lived to a great age in undisturbed happiness. There once was a man who had seven sons, but never a daughter, no matter how much he wished for one. At length, his wife had a child, and it was a daughter. The joy was great, but the child was sickly and small, and so weak that it had to be baptized at once. The father sent one of the boys in a hurry to the spring to fetch water for the baptism. The other six boys ran along with him, and as each strove to be the first to fill the jug, it fell into the spring. There they stood, and did not know what to do. None of them dared to go home. When they did not come back, the father grew impatient and said, They have forgotten all about it in a game of play, the wicked boys. Soon he grew afraid lest the child should die without being baptized, and he cried out in anger, I wish the boys were all turned into ravens. Hardly was the word spoken before he heard a whirring of wings in the air above his head. He looked up and saw seven cold black ravens flying high and away. The parents could not recall the curse, and though they grieved over the loss of their seven sons, yet they comforted themselves somewhat with their dear little daughter, who soon grew strong and every day more beautiful. For a long time, she did not know that she had brothers. Her parents were careful not to mention them before her, but one day she chanced to overhear some people talking about her and saying, that maiden is certainly beautiful, but really to blame for the misfortune of her seven brothers. Then she was much troubled and went to her father and mother and asked if it was true that she had had brothers and what was become of them. 
The parents did not dare to keep the secret longer, and said that her birth was only the innocent cause of what happened to her brothers. But the maiden laid it daily to heart, and thought that she must deliver her brothers. She had no peace and rest until she set out secretly, and went forth into the wide world to seek them out, and set them free, let it cost what it might. She took nothing with her, but a little ring belonging to her parents as a keepsake, a loaf of bread against hunger, a little pitcher of water against thirst, and a little chair as a provision against weariness. And now, she went continually onward, far, far to the very end of the world. Then she came to the sun, but it was too hot and terrible, and devoured little children. Hastily she ran away and ran to the moon, but it was far too cold, and also awful and malicious. And when it saw the child, it said, I smell, I smell the flesh of men. On this she ran swiftly away and came to the stars, which were kind and good to her, and each of them sat in its own little chair. But the morning star arose and gave her the drumstick of a chicken, and said, If you have not that drumstick, you cannot open the glass mountain, and in the glass mountain are your brothers. The maiden took the drumstick, wrapped it carefully in a cloth, and went onward again until she came to the glass mountain. The door was shut, and she thought she would take out the drumstick, but when she undid the cloth, it was empty, and she had lost the good star's present. What was she now to do? She wished to rescue her brothers, and had no key to the glass mountain. The good little sister took a knife, cut off one of her little fingers, put it in the door, and succeeded in opening it. When she had gotten inside, a little dwarf came to meet her who said, My child, what are you looking for? I am looking for my brothers, the seven ravens, she replied. The dwarf said, The Lord ravens are not at home, but if you wish to wait here until they come, step in. Thereupon the little dwarves carried the ravens dinner in, on seven plates and in seven little glasses. The little sister ate a morsel from each plate, and from each little glass she took a sip, but in the last little glass she dropped the ring which she had brought away with her. Suddenly she heard a whirring of wings and a rushing through the air, and then the little dwarf said, Now the Lord Ravens are flying home. Then they came and wanted to eat and drink, and looked for their little plates and glasses, then said one after the other, Who has eaten something from my plate? Who has drunk out of my little glass? It was a human mouth. And when the seventh came to the bottom of the glass, the ring rolled against his mouth. Then he looked at it, and saw 
that it was a ring belonging to his father and mother and said, God grant that our little sister may be here, and then we shall be free. When the maiden who was standing behind the door watching heard that wish, she came forth, and on this all the ravens were restored to their human form again, and they embraced and kissed each other, and went joyfully home. Mates, I hope you enjoyed your three tales today. They were the original Grimm Tales all the way from 1853. Yep, as it was written, translated, and brought to your lovely ears. And I hope you had a great time. And speaking of having a great time, I recently received an email querying on my attitude and chippiness regarding the podcast. And I really had to think about that question. How have I stayed happy? I spend most of my time thinking about what's next instead of dwelling on what's gone wrong now. <laughs> Easier said than done, I know. That's probably the best answer I can give though, albeit the extremely shorthand version. <laughs> I hope though that that little tidbit helps reframe some of you lovies out there who are wondering where to start. Thinking about what you can or want to do, opposed to focusing only on what you can't. Now mates, time to thank the amazing people that support the podcast. First up, magnanimous and ever majestic Maya. Thank you, Maya, for being so damn kick-ass and supporting me constantly. There is a special place in this podcast Hall of Fame for this kind of support, and it's the kind of support that gets me to really flex my ability as a podcaster. Thank you again for being amazing and your jaw-dropping dedication is never lost on me, not for even one episode. You are one amazing cool cat, Maya. And my white tea warlord, Leza Bauer. Mate, thank you so much for the email. I'll be putting time aside this week to go through it. As always, mate, your kindness, patience, and support is just a godsend. Just like Maya and all my patron supporters, I ask myself, where did I find people like you? And how damn lucky I am to have your support. Thank you, mate. You're awesome. And my old grain forces, the liquid fantastic that gets injected into this podcast's veins every episode I have. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Revelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Teton Rinko One, and Divided by Zero. Thank all of you. You are a special group of people. Really, you are. If you want to support a show where your donations will make a difference, visit www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT and sign up to support me. You'll be amazed how far your support goes. And again, thank you all for being amazing and taking the time to listen. Have a wonderful day or comfy night, and I'll catch you Friday for more tales. As always, till next we meet.